Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's come to God and ask for his help as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your Holy Spirit to come now and to teach us your decrees from your word. Oh Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that he would illuminate our minds and soften our hearts so that we respond rightly to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this weekend we've heard about God's work of creation and God's work of providence. But what is God's redeeming work? What is his redeeming work? Well, the passage that is before us clearly tells us what is God's work of redemption. It spells it out in this whole chapter as we look at it together this morning. We'll see again and again how God's work of redemption is displayed so mightily here. First thing we have to understand if we're going to look at God's work of redemption is who is redeemed. Someone must be redeemed if there's a work of redemption. So who is it that is redeemed by God? Well, we see in verse 1. It's as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See there that the people that God redeems are the people who are dead in their transgressions, dead in their sin. They're sinful people who are redeemed. They're people who are following the ways of the world. They're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. They're following Satan. The people who are redeemed are those 
who are satisfying the cravings of their sinful nature. And we see that in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Who are those who are redeemed? They're sinners. People who follow Satan, people who follow the world, people who follow the flesh, the sinful nature. But what was to happen to those who have sinned? What was happened to those like us, to we who have sinned against God, who are dead in our transgressions and sins? But well, we see in verse 3, it says, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What were we redeemed from? We were redeemed from being an object of God's wrath, for being punished for our sin. But what happened? Well, God redeemed us. How did he redeem us? Well, why did God redeem us firstly? Well, we see in verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Why did God do his work of redemption? Why did he redeem people who are objects of his wrath? It's because of his great love. It is because he is rich in mercy. It is because he is gracious. And how did he do it? How did he redeem people who are objects of his wrath? Well, we see in verse 5, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How did God redeem us? Well, it's through Christ Jesus. He raised us up with Christ Jesus. He redeemed us from the sin and misery that we're in, from the deadness and from the destruction that we deserve under God's wrath. And what was the purpose of God's work of redemption? Well, the verses continue. It tells us, in verse, uh, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Purpose of God's work of redemption is to display his grace. To display his grace in the coming ages. He is the one that wants to show how gracious he is, how merciful, how kind he is, and he's done it by his work of redemption, of redeeming sinners from the wrath and destruction that they deserve. And so what, who, who participated in this work? Well, of course, it's God who does the work, and it's only God. We've seen this weekend that God is the one who creates. He doesn't need us to create. God is the one who sovereignly controls all things. He doesn't give that to us as well. And it's the same here. We see that it is God who does the work of redemption in him alone. And we see that in verse 8. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It is all by his grace, all by his power, not by our power. And so who exactly has God redeemed? Has he redeemed all people? We know that all men are dead in their transgressions and sin. All men are following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All men are following sinful nature. Has he redeemed them all? No. It is only those who live by faith. And we see that in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is only those who believe. We know that God has created all men. We know that God sovereignly controls all men in his providence. But God only redeems his people. There's a distinction there. From his work of creation, his work of providence, and his work of redemption, isn't there? Everyone is involved in God's work of creation. 
Everyone is involved in God's work of providence. But it's only his people that he redeems. And who are his people? They're believers. Are they only Jews? No. When we think of his people, we think it's only the Jews that must be his people. But here, the Apostle Paul wants to be very clear that it's all who believe. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. And we see that in the following verses. One of the key texts in the Bible to show that the distinction between Jew and Gentile is removed is this passage that is before us. We read in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, non-Jews by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Yes, we were not the people of God, the Gentiles. But what has happened? Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Both Jew and Gentile are objects of God's redemption, if they are believers. If they trust in the Lord Jesus, they are welcomed into his kingdom. And we see that in the following verses. Verse 14 and following. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Dividing wall of hostility where? Between the Jew and Gentile. How has he done it? Verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Who are the objects of God's redemption? They're sinners. But they are people who trust in Jesus Christ. They're people who trust in Jesus Christ regardless of nationality. Regardless of whether you're born a Jew or whether born a Gentile. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are an object of his redemption. He has done his work of redemption in you. And God gives us this wonderful illustration to help us understand the work of redemption. I think it's very clear. We see so many good doctrines uh, taught there. We've been able to work through them even in this very short amount of time, looking at who and what and why and how, asking these questions, and we can see them all answered so clearly from this text. But God loves to give us illustrations to help us to understand something all the more, because our hearts are hard, our minds are cloudy, we're stiff-necked, and so we, we struggle to understand what God is doing for us. And so he gives us illustrations. And what is the illustration that God has given us in this text to help us to understand the work of redemption? Well, it's the, the illustration of a building. We actually see it hinted for us in verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. It says, For we are, created, uh, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word there in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. It's a word that's used for when you create something and the idea of creating something like a, a work of art. So if it's your workmanship, if it's a piece of poetry or maybe a song or maybe a statue that you've formed or a, a painting that you've made, it can be used of a building that you've created, a piece of architecture. And I think that's what is picked up in later in the passage that we see before us, that God's workmanship is displayed as a building, is illustrated as a building. A beautiful home is what he wants to understand is his work of redemption. He is building a beautiful home for himself. 
and we see that in verse 19 and following. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, Jew and Gentile together. And then we see the illustration given, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God has given us this illustration of a building to help us to understand his work of redemption. Now, how does it help? Well, when you think of a building, one of the first things you've got to consider is, what is the foundation? You can't have a building without a foundation. And so what is the foundation of God's building? Well, we see there in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What is the foundation of God's building? The apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. How is Jesus the cornerstone? How is Jesus the cornerstone to help us understand the work of redemption? Well, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected but has become the cornerstone. We see that in Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, the passage that we had read for us at the beginning of the service. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or, you can translate that, cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. A stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it is marvellous. Now why is this marvellous? What is a cornerstone? Why is it so marvellous that a, a stone that was rejected has now become the cornerstone? What was the function of a cornerstone? Well, the cornerstone was the stone that you laid and it aligns all the other stones in the building. So it's, it's, its angles are meant to be perfect so that the, the rest of the building follows the angles of that cornerstone. And it also was weighty, very heavy, and stable then to bear the weight of the rest of the building. If the cornerstone was crooked, the whole building would be off-centre and it would fall. If the cornerstone was not stable, was not strong enough, was not big enough to support the building, then the whole building would fall. And so the Lord Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, how is he qualified to be the cornerstone? How is he qualified to be that stone by which God's building would be perfectly aligned, so it would not fall, and perfectly powerful enough to not fall, strong enough to not fall. Well, Jesus is God himself. Jesus is God himself. So he is perfect. He is perfectly aligned. If something is built upon God, then it is built upon righteousness and justice and truth. And if, God, if he is God himself, then of course he is powerful enough to support the building. He is strong. He is the one who has all power. And so he can support any building that is built upon him. But how else is Jesus qualified to be the cornerstone? Well, it's because he's redeemed all the stones that are built on him. Every stone in God's building, every stone in God's building, apart from that cornerstone, had to be redeemed. Because all stones were fit for the rubbish pile. They'll fit for the rubble. Since the fall of Adam, all of humanity, and the illustration is that we are the stones, all of humanity are like what? Broken stones. Broken stones. We are ones who have rough, sharp points. We're misshapen. That is what the fall has done to all of humanity. We are like broken stones. And so all humans are fit for what? Destruction. 
That's all they're fit for. They're fit for destruction, to simply be crushed. And that's what we read in Luke chapter 20, when Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, and he says, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. That's what all stones in this world, all humans in this world, deserve, because we're all broken. We think we're good stones, but in actual fact, we're broken. We're sharp, we're rough, and we're fit for nothing but destruction, for crushing. We're fit only to display God's righteousness and justice and power by his crushing us in hell, by the power of the Lord Jesus. But there's hope. There's hope. And this is the work of redemption. It is a message of hope. There's hope for what? For the stones that are redeemed by the builder. The stones that are, those broken stones, those that are redeemed by the builder and put on the cornerstone, there is hope for them. How can ruined stones be redeemed? How can ruined stones be redeemed? Well, if they're reshaped, they can be useful. The broken edges can be cut off. The sharp, the rough places smooth. And what's that mean then for sinful humans? It means that our sin needs to be removed. That's what causes us to be sharp and rough and misshapen and fit for nothing, is our sin. And so that needs to be removed. But that's hard to do because our sin is so destructive. It is hard to remove our sin. Our sin destroys and so it takes a lot of work, a lot of pain to remove those sharp edges. If you think of some bricks that you want to fashion and use in a building and they're, they're broken and they're sharp, it's going to take a lot of effort as opposed to going to a hardware store or buying perfect bricks that are made. It's just easier to go and get fresh bricks than to try and shape a whole bunch of differently shaped broken bricks and try and use them in a building. It's going to take a lot of work. But that's what the Lord Jesus has done. That's what the Lord Jesus has done. He has redeemed those bricks. And it was a lot of work. How did God redeem sinful man? Well, it's through uniting them with Christ. Because at the cross, the Lord Jesus, he took the pain that we deserve for our sharp and rough edges, for our sin, and he shaped us so that we would be perfect. He took our sin upon his shoulders. He smoothed us out. God's wrath was poured out upon him. That destruction that we deserve, the crushing that we deserve, was put upon Christ. And so all our sharp edges are crushed off. And so that we are then made perfect stones to be used in God's building upon that cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how else is Jesus qualified to be the cornerstone? The stone on which the whole building depends? We know he's qualified because he is God himself. We know he's qualified because he is the one who has shaped all these broken stones so they can be used in his building. We also know that he is the one who's provided us the apostles and the prophets. He is the one who's spoken to us through the apostles and the prophets. And we see the importance of them in there in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 2. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Then on top of that, what is there? They're the apostles and the prophets. Why are they the foundation? Because without the apostles and the prophets, we would not know of the cornerstone. We would not know of the cornerstone and therefore we would not be built upon that cornerstone. 
Christ Jesus, he is the one who has these apostles and prophets. And they align with him perfectly. The apostles and um, prophets, yes, they were sinful men. But when they spoke the word of God, they spoke the inerrant and infallible word of God. They never disagreed with the cornerstone. And so if we are on them, if we are listening to them and trusting in, in the word of God, it contains the apostles and prophets' words, has the prophets, is the apostles and prophets' words, I've got to be word, careful with that word contained, it does not contain the word of God, this is the word of God, this is the word of the apostles and prophets. If we trust in that, we are on that as a foundation, which is on that chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can bear our weight. He can bear the weight of the apostles and prophets and he can bear our weight as we come upon him as freshly made perfect stones on him. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Why? Without him, because there is no building. Without the Lord Jesus, there is no building at all. But how else is the building illustration helpful for us today? We see it's so helpful for us to understand who Jesus is in the work of redemption. That without him, there is no work of redemption. But how else is this building illustration that's given to us in Ephesians chapter 2 helpful for us to understand the work of redemption? Well, it helps us to understand why we're all different. Why we're all different stones. We see this again and again in the text from verse 11 onwards. We're speaking about Jew and Gentile. But it comes out in verse 21 and 22 as well. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're not all one big stone on top of Jesus. No, we're multiple stones, but we're all being built together to become this holy temple. And so that means what? It means we are expected to be around one another, supporting each other and supported by each other. We can't think that the building of God is this cornerstone, apostles and prophets, and then me on there. No, multiple stones all around us. And this is why we come together as a church. We come together as the building of God, supporting one another, just like one brick on top of another brick all supporting each other and being supported. We need the support. We need to support each other, but we also need the support from the other people as the building of God. And so this illustration given to us is really helpful for us to understand what God is doing in his work of redemption. He is not just redeeming one person. He's redeeming many people and building them together to this wonderful house. And then what does this house illustration give us as well? Well, it helps us to, it helps us to understand what it means that God lives in us. And we see that in verse 21 and 22. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The building illustration is given to us so that we can understand God's work of redemption and so we can understand what Christ's work is in it, what the apostles and the prophets work in it, what our place is in it. But it also helps us to understand the place of God in our lives. And what is that? He's one who dwells in us, like a house. And what does that mean? Well, think about a house, your house. What do you do for your house? Well, you lavish love on it, don't you? You look after it. You fix things up in it and you make it a place that you really enjoy to live in. You love to spend time there. And you protect it above all else, don't you? Yes, you may help out the neighbours if a bushfire is coming, but you're going to be particularly concerned about your own house and making sure 
that it is going to be protected from the bushfire. Because it's your house, and so you're going to look after it. So what does that mean? If we are God's house, what's his concern for us? His concern is to keep on loving us. We are his house. His concern is to protect us. Above all else, if we are his house, he's going to look after it. He's going to make sure it doesn't fall. And he's going to live in it. Some of you may be wealthy enough to own a home that you don't live in. You may have a couple of homes. But generally speaking, we have one that we're concerned about most. Have one home. And that is our home. And we live in it. And that's what God does. He is in us by his Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. How long for? Now and always. God is going to protect us. God is going to love us. God is going to dwell with us for all of eternity. And so how else does the building illustration then help us to understand God's work of redemption? Helps us to understand the role of Christ and the apostles and prophets on him. He helps us to understand who we are and how we fit together with other stones. Helps us to understand how God lives in us. It's one last thing that this idea of God building in his work of redemption helps us with. It's to display God's glory. How? Well, architecture shows the attributes of the builder, doesn't it? If you see a beautiful building, you know something of the builder, don't you? You know his goodness. You know his creativity, his wisdom, his knowledge to be able to construct something like that. You also know his power. And that's what we understand as we see God's work of redemption as a building. As we see God's people as a building in which he lives by his spirit. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone, we see his wisdom and his goodness, don't we? We see his power in being able to do that. When we look at the church and we see how beautiful it is, we understand that God must be a wise God to bring these people together and redeem them. And we're only getting a taste of it now. When we see him, the, the church in heaven as a beautiful bride coming down from heaven, we're going to understand even more the goodness and the wisdom of God and the power of God in being able to build such a building. But what else do we see? We see his mercy with his building. We see his mercy. Why? Because he took what was destined for the tip and made it into a beautiful building. There's great architects out there, great builders out there, but very few of them are able to take what is destined for the tip and make it into something beautiful. But that's what God has done in his work of redemption. Yes, as you look around at creation, you can see his wisdom, his power, his goodness displayed. As you work, look at providence and you see his, his, his sovereign control of all things, you can see his power, you can see his wisdom, you can see his goodness. But in his work of redemption, you see so clearly his, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, which is told to us back there in the earlier part of, verse, uh, of chapter 2, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In his work of redemption, if we consider it as a building of recycled stones that were simply destined for the tip otherwise, we see his mercy, his kindness, his grace displayed in a way that we don't elsewhere. God is the best recycler in the world. He takes what no one would think was possible to be recycled. 
And he takes it, he fashions it, shapes it, puts it on a cornerstone that is stable and perfect and builds this beautiful building which we get glimpses of as we gather as the people of God. So God has told us about his work of redemption. And he's given us an illustration to help us to understand this work of redemption. But are you part of God's work of redemption? Are you his workmanship? Has God redeemed you from the rubble? How can you know? Well, ask yourself these questions. Have you understood that you were a broken stone once? Have you understood that you were a broken stone, rough, sharp, misshapen, because of your sin? Have you recognised that you're a sinner? That you're dead in your transgressions and sins once? But have you understood then that you were fit for nothing? Fit for nothing simply to be, accept to be crushed by God's wrath in hell, that you were an object of his wrath. Some people will happily say, oh yeah, I'm not perfect. But would they say that they're an object, they were an object of God's wrath because of their sin? Can you say that? That I was an object of God's wrath. Have you heard the apostles and prophets? Have you heard the apostles and prophets as they speak God's word to you about Christ in this book? Have you then trusted in Christ's work at the cross? Have you been united with Christ by faith? Have you trusted in him? Have all your rough and sharp and misshapen parts of you as a stone, have they been cut off? Has your sin been cut off and you've been made perfect in Christ Jesus? In your life, have you seen a unity with other stones? With other stones that were imperfect but now are perfect in Christ Jesus? Have you seen a unity? And... That includes people of all nations, Jew and Gentile. Have you seen a unifying of yourself with them, with brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you have the Holy Spirit living in you now? That's the purpose of being the building of God, is for the Holy Spirit to live in you. Have you seen the Holy Spirit at work in you? Rejoicing in God's love and protection as his home, knowing that he loves you as his dwelling and he protects you as his dwelling. Do you love to display God's glory? Love to display God's glory. Do you love to display God's glory of his wisdom and his goodness by a godly life? But also at the same time, do you love to rejoice in the fact that you are an object not of God's wrath but of his mercy? Do you like to tell people that? I'm an object of God's mercy. And display his glory. That I once was useless but now I'm useful. Because of God. Not by my works, but because of God. And you know that God looked at you one day and when you were on the rubbish pile and said, I will use you. He elected you, chose you to be useful to him and shaped and fashioned you so that you are. If not, if you can't answer yes to those questions, what does that mean? That means you are not God's workmanship. You are not God's workmanship. You're not God's work of art. What are you? You are still a misshapen rock on the rubbish pile, unredeemed, unrecycled. You are still dead in your transgressions and sin, following the flesh, the sinful nature, following the world, and following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan himself. And what will happen to you if you remain in that state? You'll be fit for nothing but to be an object of God's wrath, to be destroyed, crushed by God. On Judgment Day, no other building will stand. 
You think you can stand on Judgment Day? You will not. The only building that stands on Judgment Day is that which is built upon Christ, the chief cornerstone. You're either built on Christ for all eternity or you're crushed by Christ for all eternity. But until Christ returns, God is still redeeming stones. He's still redeeming stones to use in his home. So won't you be added to? Won't you be added to? How? Listen to the apostles and prophets. Listen to this book. This is the most valuable book in the world because this is the foundation by which you can be on Christ and therefore be saved. Listen to the apostles and prophets. Trust in Christ that he bore the cutting that you deserve for your sin, the crushing that you deserve for your sin, that he bore it so that you are now perfect. You are now a stone that is useful in his house. And ask God to have you as an object of his mercy, not his wrath, to redeem you and use you. Come to him in prayer. Beg him to redeem you. Children too. Many of you are here this morning with us. You may think you know everything. You may think you know everything and everyone else is wrong. You're a perfect stone. You're not like that brick that I held up before. The Bible says, no, you too are dead in your transgressions and sins. You too are following the ways of your own sinful heart. You're following the ways of the world and the ways of Satan. But if you believe in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you too can rest on the Lord Jesus as a beautiful stone and be saved for all eternity. But for those of us in the room who are living stones in God's building, what should we do? Well, we should give God glory, shouldn't we? And rejoice in him. Why? God has redeemed us. God has recycled us. He has saved us. Saved us. From what? From being crushed by the weightiest rock of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not going to be crushed by him. Instead, he has elected each of us. He has chosen us. And said, I can use you to display my glory. In love, he has elected us. And so we have every reason to rejoice. And we can rest in his promises and rejoice in his promises because we are part of his building. What sort of promises? Well, that one that was read to us before from Isaiah 28, verse 16, where we read, the Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. The word dismayed there can be translated as never be shaken or disturbed or shamed as it's quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2. We will never be dismayed. We'll never be ashamed. Why? Because God will always love us. We're his house. He will always protect us from collapse. Even in death, he will protect us. He will look after us because we are his house and because we're on no greater foundation. What's our foundation? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So of course we will never be dismayed. We'll never be shaken. We'll never be ashamed. We'll never be disturbed. 
We're on a stable rock, a stable cornerstone that is God himself, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he died for us. So we have every reason to rejoice because we know that God will always love us. He will always protect us. He will always dwell with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we have every reason to rejoice in this world and we'll have every reason to rejoice in the next. So let us rejoice and let us give God glory. And let's do it in prayer right now and then let's do it in song. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the great God who redeemed sinful humans. We praise you for redeeming sinful humans, for redeeming broken stones and for perfecting them for your building by cutting away our sin in Christ at the cross. So we now rest on him. We rest on the one who is the perfect cornerstone, the one who is revealed in the apostles and prophets. Oh Lord, we come before you though and we confess that we do not give you the glory you deserve and we do not rejoice in you as we should. So we ask that you would help us by the Spirit to glorify you better and to rejoice in the fact that we will never be dismayed, we'll never be shaken, we'll never be disturbed because Jesus is our perfect and strong cornerstone and you live in us by the Holy Spirit. We are your dwelling and so we will never be shaken. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who is listening now, oh Lord, if they are not part of your building, may they come to you by faith now and may they ask you to be, be redeemed from destruction and added to your glorious building before it's too late. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're now going to stand and praise God by singing in Christ alone. Please stand and sing. Thank you.